one of the myths about ministers and pastors is that we have it all together. Now, you know me well enough, most of you know me well enough to know that I do not have it all together, uh, that I have no problem admitting my faults. I have no problem admitting the fact that I am a sinner, uh, that I sin just like you do. Maybe not in the same way that you do, but I sin just like you. We're all in the same boat when it comes to being sinners. And I think that pastors do a bad job of admitting their weaknesses, that sometimes we can get this complex, this idea that, you know, I've got to be on all the time. I've got to have, I've got to put on this persona. I've got to put on this act that I have it all together, that uh, everything is fine. Everything is great. We sing along with the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. And so people look at a pastor or they look at a minister and think, man, I, I wish I could be like that guy. Or I wish I could have his spiritual life. Or I'm sure, I just know that he doesn't struggle with this, that, or the other thing. He doesn't struggle with sin, and, and he's just perfect. Let me tell you, folks, that is the furthest thing from the truth. That when it comes to Pastor Sean, my, my request is that you see me as you see anyone else, that you don't put me on a pedestal, because it happens, and I've seen it happen time and time again, where people will put a pastor up on a pedestal, and then inevitably, he lets them down. And then it hurts the faith of the people that he's leading. And so my encouragement to you this morning is that I want you to know that I struggle. I struggle with sin. In the things that I say, the things that I think, and the things that I do, I struggle just like you. And I think we all struggle. And we all struggle with this idea that we're sinners. And we all struggle with sin in some way. In the things that we say, in the things that we think, in the things that we do, we do not necessarily always live our lives to honor Jesus. Sometimes we feel like there's nothing we can do. We sometimes feel helpless in the face of sin. Anybody here feel helpless in the face of sin? A few brave hands. <laughs> but sometimes we'll feel helpless when it comes to our sinful condition. We'll feel helpless when it comes to our sinful nature. We'll feel helpless when it comes to this idea of being bondage, in bondage or in slavery to sin. That it seems that wherever we go, whatever we do, we've got sin just kind of creeping right behind us and dogging us like a, like a little wiener dog barking at our, our heels and barking at our ankles and just kind of biting our ankles. Anybody ever have a wiener dog? I had wiener dogs. Horrible creatures. Oh, there's a reason why they're so cute. So you won't kill them because they are terrible dogs. They have so much personality and they are adorable until you get to know them like pastors. Um, but when it comes to sin, we feel like it's always just nipping at our heels and nipping at our ankles, and we just, we don't know what to do about it. We feel like we're slaves to sin. We feel like we're in bondage to sin. And it's just, it fills you with so much guilt and shame of why can't I get better, and why can't I do more, and why can't I overcome this struggle, and why can't I overcome this sin, why can't I overcome this, this temptation? And like I said, it fills us with guilt and shame. 
And we feel so lousy as a Christian. We feel so lousy as a person of faith. We don't feel like we're following Jesus very well. But we come to church on Sunday morning and we put on our little Jesus mask and everything's fine and everything is great and everything is awesome. I don't have any problems and I don't have any struggles and hey, it's good to see you and hey, it's wonderful to see you too and all right, and then, okay. And deep down inside, we just feel terrible. Like we're in slavery. Like we're in bondage to sin. And we want to do so much better, right? We want to do so much better. We want to overcome temptation. We want to overcome sin. But we feel helpless. There's good news, friends. We are not helpless, and we are not hopeless. We may feel like we're in bondage. We may feel like we're in slavery from time to time, but Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free. This morning, we are starting a new series called The Journey, and I was listening on the radio to a preacher in Chicago and he was preaching on a passage in Exodus. And I started, I was listening to this sermon, and I was really inspired by it. I thought, man, this is some good stuff. And uh, I thought to myself, hey, this is what I do. Whenever I hear a sermon, I think, hmm, I wonder how I would preach that. <laughs> um, and so I started thinking about this idea of a journey and how Israel uh, was in bondage and slavery in Egypt, and God set them free. And then they began a 40-year journey to the promised land. And I thought to myself, man, that kind of sounds like being a Christian. It kind of sounds like being a follower of Jesus. That we start off in bondage and slavery to sin, even if we don't realize it. We're in bondage and slavery to sin. And then at some point, God sets us free, and he delivers us from sin. And he delivers us from the consequences of our sin. And then we begin this journey to the promised land because that's where we want to be right amen we want to be in the promised land and so I, I think that what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to study some passages in the book of exodus and we're going to look at how the children of israel were led out of bondage and slavery to the promised land and we're going to see how this parallels our own journey of faith so you may be thinking, well, I don't have any faith. I'm not even a believer. I don't believe any of this stuff, and I'm only here because my spouse dragged me here or my parents dragged me here or my, uh, I feel like I should go. I feel like it's the thing that I'm supposed to do. And so you may be here this morning going, ah, malarkey, I don't need this. Well, i got news for you. This sermon series is for you as well. So if you'll just... Listen to me for 27 minutes a week for the next six weeks. Um, I, I really think that this is going to speak to you. Even if you don't have faith, that's okay. One of the things, one of my dreams for my church here at GFCC, and I, when I say my church, I don't mean that I own it. I don't mean that it's my church. I mean that it's my church and that you are my family. One of my dreams for my church is that our church will be a place where people are free to ask questions. And people are free to express their doubts. People are free and they feel comfortable saying, you know what, I don't know. Because that's what I say an awful lot, is I don't know. 
And I want you to know that that's okay. It is, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. And if you've got questions, and if you've got fears, and if you've got doubts, and if you've got struggles, and if you've got sins and addictions and habits and things in your life that you just feel like you can't kick, you're in the right place. Because this is a hospital for sinners, not a shrine for saints. This is a place where you can come and learn about Jesus and grow in faith in him. So wherever you are on your journey of faith, and I believe we're all on a journey of faith, even the most diehard of atheists has faith that there's nothing out there. So whether you have been walking with Jesus for 60 years, or if you're just investigating Christianity for the first time, this series is for you. And we're going to see how God led the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery into the promised land, and how he can do the same thing. For us. So for the next six weeks, that's what we're going to talk about, is how God leads us out of slavery and bondage to sin and leads us home to the promised land where we're headed. So uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's all right. You can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this, and it's on page 40 of that Bible. And we're going to read in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. If you didn't bring your Bible and you don't have one in front of you, you can always use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, and you can look it up that way. So what's happened here in the book of Exodus, if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about the story of Joseph and how Joseph uh, was sold into slavery. and He ended up in Egypt, and God used Joseph's story to save many lives uh, by rescuing people from a famine, from a seven-year famine. Uh, and so uh, we saw how Joseph and his family ended up in Egypt. So Joseph and his family, there's about 70 of them at the time, are all in Egypt, and they stay there, and they settle there. Now, look at verse 8. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Like I said, there's 70 people uh, at the start, and they've become exceedingly numerous. They have been fruitful, and they have multiplied, and so Israel's becoming a great nation. So a king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numer much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So when you've got these Israelites living in Egypt, uh, the uh, Pharaoh, the king, is getting nervous. And for two reasons. He's got two problems. One, he's got this growing nation um, that may join with Egypt's enemies in a time of war. So he's got this problem of war, and he's got a problem of a burgeoning nation within his borders. And so he decides he's going to deal shrewdly with them. And this idea of dealing with them shrewdly means to imprison, not to imprison them, it means to uh, enslave them and to try and break their spirit and to kill off uh, their people to stop the growth. So he's going to stop the growth as well as kill their spirit. Look at verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. 
They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. This is about 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus. And the people of Israel are being oppressed in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. Um, this was prophesied way back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, where God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. So for 400 years, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And like I said, this is about 1,500 years before Jesus is born. So this is a long time ago, about 3,500 years ago. And the, the children of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians. And, and it was so hard, and it was so rough, and it was so ruthless that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 20, um, it says that the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace. That is what Egypt is called in Deuteronomy 4. It was an iron-smelting furnace. It was hard labor. It was sl slavery, and it was awful for the Israelites. We'll flip over to chapter 5, just a couple pages over. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21 and see just how bad things got. So Moses, is, in chapter 3, is called by God uh, through a burning bush to go and deliver the people of, of Israel uh, from the Egyptians. And he and his brother Aaron come to Pharaoh in chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foremen went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. This is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, 
They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. It is thought that through this hard, back-breaking labor that the Egyptians were forcing upon the Israelites that they built not only two cities, but they also built the pyramids. Uh, that's what uh, scholars believe, is that it was on the backs of, of slave labor that these cities and pyramids were built and so the people are in, enslaved and they are in bondage and they are being oppressed ruthlessly. And I think sometimes in our own lives we feel the same way about sin, that it is kind of like a slave master over us. That we can't help ourselves. That sin is just uh, driving us and, and, and damaging us and hurting us and, and beating us and oppressing us ruthlessly. And we don't know what to do about it. I'm re reminded of a passage in, in Romans uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 23, where the Bible tells us that we are all sinners, that we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious purpose for our lives, that we know that we're sinners. Deep down inside, even people who think that uh, they've got it all together still at some point realize, I don't have it all together. I, I am a sinner, and I do fall short, and I do struggle, and I feel that guilt, and I feel that shame. We all know somewhere deep inside that we have sinned, and that we don't deserve to go to heaven. And then the more that we grow, and the more that we kind of realize what God has done for us, and the more that we get closer to Jesus, the more we see our own sinfulness. The longer we walk with God, the longer that we are with Him, the more we realize just how, how poor off we really are. I, I think about a passage in Romans chapter 7 that really gets at the, the heart of what being a slave to sin is all about. Uh, if you've got that Bible, turn over to page 799, the, the chair Bible, or if you're in your own Bible, turn to Romans 7.14. I just want to read this little passage that Paul talks about, and, and this is one of my friend Tony's favorite passages of Scripture. It's one of my favorite as well, because it really gets to the heart of, of what I'm talking about today. Romans 7.14-24 through 24 says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Again, do you hear Paul's hopelessness and helplessness when it comes to the sin in his life? I know that nothing good lives in me, verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there, the little wiener dog, the evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What 
a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from my bondage? Who will rescue me from oppression? Who will rescue me from slavery to sin? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Because we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That what we deserve because of our sinfulness is death. That we don't deserve the promised land. We don't deserve heaven. It's because of our sinfulness that we deserve eternal separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve because of our sinfulness. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's what we're going to talk about next week. We talk about deliverance. But for today, I want to talk about just three areas of our lives that I think that we struggle with being slaves to sin. Uh, the first is that we are, are slaves to self-centeredness. When it comes to being uh, a slave to sin, I think the first kind of slavery that we find is that we are slaves to self-centeredness. And, and we, we want to care about the people around us, but I think that more oftentimes we are more concerned with self-preservation. We're more concerned with ourselves than we are with the people around us. That sometimes we are willing to step on and step over everyone who's in our way or who's in our path. And we just really just don't care. Because I got to look out for number one. I got to look out for myself. And so we have this self-centered attitude. And it is repugnant to God. And it is sinful to be self-centered. And to think, I have got to take care of myself. And so I think that sometimes we feel like we're slaves to self-centeredness. Or if we're not slaves to self-centeredness, then we are slaves to self-righteousness. And this is where you have to justify yourself before God. You have to say to God, well, you know, you have to accept me into your kingdom, Lord, because I'm not like those people or I'm not like those people I don't do the things that they do I don't sin in the way that they sin I'm better than they are self-righteousness tries to justify yourself before God saying at least I'm not see that's the words that we'll use and we become a slave to self-righteousness when we say at least I'm not Fill in the blank. At least I'm not that. At least I'm not this. At least I don't struggle with that sin, or I don't struggle with this sin. I'm better than they are. I'm better than those sinners. So God, you've got to love me and and welcome me into your kingdom. You've got to let me go to heaven because at least I'm not like them. And we struggle with slavery to self-righteousness. And we think, I don't need a Savior because I'm better than they are. Kind of like my running analogy. I don't have to outrun you when the bear is chasing. I don't have to outrun the bear when the bear is chasing us. I just have to outrun you. (laughs) 
when it comes to sin, we'll say, I don't have to be perfect. I just got to be better than those people because I know they're not going to heaven. So as long as I'm better than them, then I can go to heaven. And we don't think that we need a Savior because we're going to justify ourselves. Or we are slaves to self-improvement. We're either slaves to self-centeredness, self-righteousness, or self-improvement. And when we're slaves to self-improvement, we think, I can do this. I can get better on my own. I can fix this problem. I can set myself free. And we don't think that we need Jesus because we feel like we can do it on our own. I don't know if, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but I had gastric bypass surgery like 10 years ago uh, in December of 2006. I used to weigh 330 pounds. And uh, I remember sitting and talking to the doctor. And the doctor looks at me and goes, you need this surgery. I said, no, I don't think I do. He's like, no, you need to have this surgery. I said, well, I, I said, I can do this. I can lose this weight. He says, no, you can't. You've tried everything under the sun. And you can't do this. And it was in that moment that I had to realize that I couldn't improve myself. And I think the same thing happens to us when we are dealing with sin and we are dealing with slavery and bondage to sin. We think, I can do this. I can fix this. I can get better than I used to be. I can be better than I was. And I can, I can continue to improve myself. And we don't think that we need a Savior because, well, I can do this. But I'm here to tell you that you can't. No, it is only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that you can be set free from sin. Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing Jesus is the one who came to set you free and you may feel like you're in bondage and you may feel like you are oppressed and you may feel like you're a slave to sin but you don't have to be and so whether you were born into slavery to sin or whether you were sold into slavery to sin the fact is is that Jesus came to set you free he came to deliver you from not only the consequences of sin which are death but he came to set you free from the power of sin and through the power of the Holy Spirit you can be set free from sin Will you still struggle? Yes. Will you still be tempted? Yes. Will you still fall short? Yes. Will you still sin from time to time? Yes, you will. But it doesn't have to control you, and it doesn't have to own you, and it doesn't have to enslave you any longer. That if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by believing in him, repenting from your sin, confessing your faith, getting baptized, God will wash away your sins, fill you with the Holy Spirit, and transform your life from the inside out so that the habits and the sins and the addictions of the past are left in the past and your future is freedom and deliverance.
And when Jesus comes into your life, and when Jesus comes into our lives, he sets us free. Doesn't that sound great? To be free from the struggles, to be free from the sins, to be free from the helplessness and the hopelessness. And so I want to just encourage you this morning that if you're walking with Jesus, he has come to set you free. And if you're not walking with him yet, we want to we want to invite you to start this journey of faith with us and to give your life to Jesus Christ because he gave his life for you. And I want to encourage you to come back next week because that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Today we talked about being slaves to sin, but next week we're going to talk about deliverance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are wretched sinners. And it is only by your grace that we are saved and set free. Father, we feel the weight of slavery to sin. We feel the, the struggle with temptation. We struggle, Lord. And we need you to set us free. I know for myself, I am tired of struggling with the things that I say and think and do my attitudes and I know that my friends here today are sick and tired of struggling with the things that they say think and do and with their attitudes so God I pray for victory and, and deliverance this week that as we live in the light of your love as we live in the light of your grace that God you remind us that Jesus came to set us free Thank you for Jesus, for his grace, for his love. Now I pray that you would bless my family and my friends this week as we put our trust in Jesus to set us free. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.